This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy Shorts, a podcast from the makers of BBC Sky Night magazine in which we speak to some of the leading minds in space science and astronomy. I'm Ian Todd, I'm the magazine's editorial assistant, and this time I spoke to astronomy and science writer Davis Sobel. She's hosting a new five-part series, Stargazing, which begins 23rd of August on the BBC World Service. I started off by asking her what the show was about and how she got involved. It is a a look up, uh, a look at the night sky, a um, a chance to talk about current astronomy, both uh, from the amateur's perspective and also the work of professional astronomers. We visit several observatories over the course of the series in uh, remote, interesting places where observatories have to be these days. And um, it also goes back in time. We talk about astronomers from the past, especially Copernicus. He is a, uh, a touch point for the series. I believe he is the reason I was chosen to be the presenter of this series because I had written a, a book and a play about him that came out a few years ago. And uh, uh, Kate Bland, who produced the series for Cast Iron Radio, um, saw saw him, uh, the way he changed our view of the universe, as as being a a key for stargazers to uh, someone stargazers could could look to. Uh, sharing, sharing a love of the beauty of the night sky. And anyone who's kind of aware of your work, uh, as you said, will know that that uh, Copernicus is, I think, a bit of a hero of yours. Would that be fair to say? That would. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have several. Great. So uh, perhaps, I mean, for anyone who, who's listening who, who's not not aware of of the name Copernicus, perhaps you could you could. Uh, Tell us exactly why he's he's so important to, to to our view of of the solar system and indeed the universe. He is the person who turned our view of the universe inside out by arguing that the Earth was not the center of the universe; uh, that it was in fact a planet in motion around the sun, which was considered heresy at the time. So he was very nervous about saying those things. He worked in private, in secret, and he probably was planning not to publish his book. But uh, toward the end of his life, a uh, young genius came to visit him. He was living in what's now Poland and uh, quite a remote region. Uh, And this young man came from a Protestant uh, 
country, actually from Wittenberg in Germany, and convinced uh, the Catholic Copernicus in northern Poland that he really did have to publish this book and and managed to reverse the uh, the hesitation of a lifetime and get him to publish. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it, it would have been very dangerous at the time, as as, uh, as we later found, as, well, as uh, Galileo li- uh, later found out, it, it could potentially have been quite dangerous to have yeah. suggested that the... Uh, that, exactly, that, that the Earth was in motion. Um, Galileo took all the heat for Copernicus. Copernicus died while the book was being printed, so he never knew the reaction. Uh, whereas Galileo learned it in a, in a most dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And uh, C- Copernicus and his life actually forms the uh, the basis for the for the very first episode of of, of the show, doesn't it? Yes, yes. And uh, we had wonderful cooperation from Marek Kakula, uh, who is the public astronomer at the Royal Observatory Greenwich. And Marek went to Poland for that episode, and uh, to the church where Copernicus worked and spent most of his life and spoke to astronomers there, uh, people in the museum. And uh, and then I visited Marek at Greenwich and we looked at the copy of Copernicus's book that is kept in the library at Greenwich. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. So it, it it sounds like, as you said, that the first episode is very much kind of putting putting Copernicus into historical context. But then the next episode, you're in the Chilean desert. Um, so it, it, it really kind of jumps between history of astronomy and, and um, modern astronomy, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. And the focus was on going to places around the world as much as possible, because it is the world service. So um, astronomers really love the high desert in Chile. It's a, it's an ideal place to do astronomy. So what, what other themes will the uh, series be exploring? Are you, are you able to tell us? Oh, yes. Uh, we'll talk about the different types of astronomy. Most people think, naturally enough, of optical astronomy, of looking through a telescope or just with the naked eye looking up and admiring the planets as they move among the stars. But we also talk quite a bit about radio astronomy and infrared astronomy. There are um, many ways to explore the universe, including through X-rays and gamma rays. And uh, we, we touch on all of that, too. Why do you think astronomy um, continues to capture people's imagination? Partly because of the beauty of the night sky. Uh, We forget about it, living in big cities. But the um, impetus for the series, I think, uh, dates to to a night when Kate Bland happened to be outdoors in a remote region and looked up and felt, completely dazzled by what was overhead. And most of us have had that experience and of feeling either thrilled by it or terrified. Some people hate the vastness of the universe. They find it threatening, intimidating, 
the large numbers and the great expanse of time that's implicit in any study of astronomy makes a lot of people nervous. And we were interested in trying to address those feelings and uh, remind people that you know, we, we really are, as Carl Sagan used to say, we are stardust. We are part of the fabric of space-time. And even though it doesn't look very familiar, it is home. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose you, you must be really feeling this uh, at the moment because as we're recording, it's it's the week leading up to the uh, total um, solar eclipse over the U.S. I mean, it... yes, yes, I'm so excited. I'm um, I'm about to go to Wyoming, which is supposed to be a very good place for seeing it. Uh, it I will be in the path of totality, and uh, hoping with all my heart that the weather cooperates. Can you kind of just living in the U.S.? Can you kind of sense is, is the is the excitement palpable? Is is it kind of everywhere? Or are, are people talking about it? Yes, people are talking about it. There's been a tremendous amount of publicity, public education. Astronomers have been going to libraries and schools, giving out eclipse glasses to people all over the country, because. Although the path of totality is very narrow, where you can see the total eclipse, the partial will affect the whole country. So wherever you are, if you are paying attention and you have the uh, eclipse glasses, which are inexpensive but crucial, you will you'll be able to look at the sun and see a big bite taken out of it. And the size of that bite will depend on how far you are from the path of totality. But in the path, you see the entire sun obliterated by the moon, which is exciting and gorgeous because the invisible part of the sun, the normally invisible corona, which is hidden by the bright sunshine we're used to, that becomes suddenly magnificently visible during the total phase. And the total phase is very brief. It's uh, just a little over two minutes. But people will go to great trouble and expense for those two minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely one of them. It isn't even great and expense because it's right in the U.S., this time. And and it's predicted that more people will see this eclipse than have seen any eclipse in history, or maybe all of them together, because the predictions are there of exactly where you should be. Uh, people know what time it will happen. And uh, tremendous in, uh, interest has, has been drummed up by all this advance notice. Yes, and um, our uh, our uh, news editor uh, Elizabeth Pearson, she's she's actually currently um, on her way uh, to the US to to view it as well. Just when you said there, some people will will travel, you know, hundreds of miles just for those two minutes. She she's one of them, and and we're all kind of re- we're all kind of remaining in the office and, and feeling very jealous about about the fact. <laughs> yes, well, next time you must insist that they send you. I just wanted to finish by asking you um, if you've got any future uh, projects that we should keep an, an eye out for, because 
uh, our, our readers will remember the last thing you published was uh, The Glass Universe, that, that great um, novel about, or that great book about the uh, the uh, women astronomers of, of Harvard University. So um, is there anything else you're, you're kind of working on at the moment that, that you can kind of give us a give us a sneak preview of? I don't have a new project at the moment. I am still quite involved in the glass universe. Uh, once you write a book, then the people you couldn't find while you were writing it find you. And uh, this phase is so gratifying and interesting. I've heard from a few relatives of the women and some new information uh, a new cache of materials has turned up at Harvard, some logbooks and other papers that no one knew existed. They've just been in a box in a storeroom for more than 100 years. So I'm still um, still very fascinated by that situation, the people in it. And um, there's so much interest now in women in science, uh, especially because of the film, Hidden Figures, uh, and, and my book, um, which goes back much earlier. I like to say that my ladies are the grandmothers of the Hidden Figures. So the, the short answer is, I'm sorry, no, I don't have a new project to tell you about, but um, I'm still enjoying the old one. Fantastic. Well, um, astronomy, both both past and present, continues to to inspire us, and I'm I'm, I'm sure that uh, this this new five part series, Stargazing, will 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 contribute to that. So, um, just I wanted to say, yeah, good luck with the show, and thank you very much for speaking to me. Thanks so much. You can catch the first episode of Stargazing when it begins 23rd of August at 1.30pm on the BBC World Service, which is available to listen to online at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash world service radio. And BBC Sky Night Magazine is available in print and several digital formats. Find out more at skynightmagazine.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. I've been Ian Todd. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.